everyone welcome to the weekly bitcoin update by 21 tars i'm sandeep koinka hey everyone this is setu saurav so setu i think after a, since we started the podcast a little happy time of course you're going to discuss the bitcoin price and uh, the rally and it's not only gloom and doom you know like we've been discussing in the past few podcasts so we will be discussing bitcoin's price and the recent uh, short rally we'll be discussing uh, the current usd and macro environment which i guess is affecting the price uh we'll be covering the ftx contagion and things around binance unfortunately silvergate bank talking about you know all of this ftx contagion that we've been discussing over the past few podcasts and a couple of other miscellaneous news so i think it's going to be an exciting podcast episode yep like bitcoin has been stuck stagnant at 16k so great to have a podcast wherein we we are talking about bitcoin going beyond that yeah it's funny right 16 to 18k feels like a proper a uh, boom rally because it's been uh, so many months a lot of people are frightened that the price action might be on the opposite end because it's been stuck at that place for some time and that's what happens with bitcoin right once it remains stuck at certain price level either it shoots up from there or it does go down at times so yeah it's good to see it breaking out in the positive direction yeah absolutely i i will definitely admit that i've been happier over the last two days than i've been in the past <laughs> especially after a really bad start to uh, the year with so much terrible news coming out so with that let's dive in straight uh, to the first news article that we want to cover so and this is um, a paper by Nidig it's uh, called Nidig research it came out of Nidig on 9th Jan 2023 i really love Nidig research reports so you know if you feel free to find out their research reports and subscribe to it cover a couple of things that they've highlighted in their research report it's basically a review of 2022 and uh, which we all of course know that 2022 really ended badly uh, for bitcoin um, and so this kind of goes on to say that flows into bitcoin funds were flat for the second straight quarter and they're talking about 2022 but money continues to exit the crypto ecosystem by declining stablecoin supply so flows into bitcoin funds like grayscale and other bitcoin funds were also flat but more than that uh, the amount of stablecoin actually was quantity of stablecoin increases when more and more people want to get into crypto the report um, goes on to say that of course 2022 was a tough year for bitcoin's price performance and the fourth quarter which is the last quarter of last year uh, was no exception and here is the fourth quarter 2022 asset class returns where bitcoin was the worst performing asset out of all the assets um and this is the comparison of bitcoin's performance in the whole of 2022 in that also bitcoin was the worst performing asset of last year and then the report kind of discussed that bitcoin broadly adheres to some pricing patterns like the four year patterns you know which is due to bitcoin having which we've discussed uh, i think a couple of episodes back you brought up the topic i kind of gave you my views that i feel that in the future more and more that these four year cycles might not play out like the way they've played out historically and that's what the article also says that a prescriptive set of rules to kind of predict bitcoin's price like in the past maybe a bit too strict and then i really like this summary this paragraph in the article it says that the frustrating thing about the events of the past year is that aside from luna usd it has little to do with the technology of digital assets themselves and more to do with 
poor business tactics of centralized players. Bitcoin technology, especially Bitcoin technology, had nothing to do with the events of the past year. And for a technology created to remove trusted intermediaries from financial systems, it certainly was the actions of central financial actors that were responsible for the calamity of 2022. One thing for sure is that in the future, the activities of other players in the industry needs to be of paramount concentration. And I think, of course, we've been discussing all of this FTX contagion. And um, so really, uh, just, I think, a great overview of 2022. One of the things that uh, I I have been looking at the articles, a a lot of articles these days talk about the venture capital bust or the crypto bust that has happened. And one of the articles that I was reading on sort of pointed towards something called Minsky cycle. So wherein, wherein all the success that was seemingly coming in the VC space or in the crypto space wasn't an outsides return per se, or some incredible invention or incre- incredible uh, output, but was coming from the capital that that was being deployed. So for example, in case of VCs, VC funds, because you are not you're not letting you know naturally three of your companies survive after 18 months you are artificially giving them so much capital that your failure rates have gone down from 70 18% to uh, 50 or 40% so you're artificially keeping those companies alive for longer time and then eventually a lot of them will go bust that's the nature of the business that VCs are in similarly in, in case of crypto unless there's an underlying utility of whatever it is that you're building artificially pumping the prices of the crypto coins by sort of using investors capital to buy back your own coins is only going to last as long as you have capitals capital coming from vcs and private equity players right so and once that cycle gets disturbed yeah it it it, it does not exactly reset it it falls and then uh, comes back after a certain time that's actually really interesting i, I think you meant that the vcs do not let their uh, companies uh, portfolio companies fail i think you said survive but yeah no i get it uh, and yeah, and then there is a day of reckoning that comes, like the period of the last couple of months, where the entire house of cards comes uh, crashing down. So absolutely, no great point. And so let's move to a couple of other price metrics that I always like to cover. One is the mere multiple. So currently the mere multiple is at 0.97. So the price is reaching closer and closer to Bitcoin's 200-week moving average, because at one, it is at the 200-week moving average. So I believe that uh, any price below the 200-week moving average uh, is basically Bitcoin being available at a discount. And that's the tweet by Samson Mo as well, that Bitcoin 200-week moving average is $24,500. We are just at $18,000 now. Bitcoin's price being below the 200-week moving average is an anomaly. Stack cheap sats while you can. Again, no, this is not investment advice. Just sharing a tweet. In fact, in the last uh, podcast, Sandeep, you mentioned when the Bitcoin price was around 16, 16 point something K dollars, you mentioned that this kind of mere multiple is usually not seen. Like there were only back then at that price level, there were only 12% or 13% of the times in the history of Bitcoin, that kind of prices were seen. And you, you mentioned that this, this is a good time to buy Bitcoin, but of course this is not a financial advice that you are, you are sharing. Uh, you and, have to always and- keep saying this. <laughs> Price action moves. Yeah, no, absolutely. And at today's mere multiple of 0.97, um, Bitcoin has, has been higher than today at 64% of the time. So, I mean, this mere multiple, this kind of low levels of mere multiple has been there for about 30, 35% of the period of time. So, 
Yeah, still, if you're new to Bitcoin, I think these are any any number below one, according to me, means Bitcoin is available at a discount. And the next interesting metric, because we covered this uh, in the last time, was uh, to kind of think about Bitcoin's price also in terms of uh, GBTC's discount to NAV, right? And so we can see, does GBTC's discount going down causes Bitcoin's price to increase or the other way around? And we will never know. But as soon as Bitcoin's price rallied, GBTC's discount also went um, from 48% to 38%. So the holders of GBTC actually had a double benefit, like it's kind of a leveraged exposure. Yeah, they are they had an increase of 10% in GBTC's uh, unit plus the increase in uh, Bitcoin's uh, price. So that's interesting. And around 10% there too. Yeah, exactly. 10% there too. So it's a kind of a leveraged uh, exposure to Bitcoin uh, again. You know its own uh, risks of a third person, uh, third party intermediary, but interesting move over there. And so with that, also wanna just you know while we're on the topic of price, want to cover this uh, newsletter by Glassnode again, uh, one of the better price uh, analysis newsletters out there. So this is their newsletter titled "A Volatility Slumber," dated 9th Jan. So we are recording it on 13th Jan. So this is a this is before the last uh, couple of days price rally. Glassnode in some way predicted, um, uh, you know, a movement in price. So they said that in a rarely seen feed, Bitcoin managed to trade within a price range of just $500 over the last three weeks with the highest price $17,000 and the lowest price was $16,500 for almost the whole of last few weeks, um, kind of December and uh, up to first week of Jan. Um, so uh, in the newsletter, they basically covered that this extremely low volatility has historically preceded explosive market moves. And mind you, in both directions, okay, not explosive as just increase with latest exam examples of November 2018 and April 2019. And then they've spoken about the drawdowns in the realized cap, basically saying that 2022 is comfortably one of the deepest bear markets to date with respect to capital losses. But since Bitcoin's prices rallied, I actually want to cover this part, uh, you know, that they were predicting a move which actually has played out over the last couple of days. So they're saying that realized volatility over the last month for BTC declined to multi-year lows of 25%, of which there are very few instances with similar levels. So this is a graph where the volatility was as low uh, as the last three weeks. So as you can see, there are very few instances. And then they say that all prior examples have proceeded with much higher volatility. So they were kind of predicting on 9th Jan that, you know, Bitcoin can be more volatile and it has been. Uh, but then they made an interesting point. They've said that most of the times Bitcoin has traded higher after such low volatility. And just one time in November 2018, it had actually traded lower. So they kind of said that early bull market in 12, 2013 was higher, 2015 higher, November 2018 was the only time it was lower with a 50% drawdown. And then April 2019 was higher and July 2020 was also high. And well, at least the price movement of the last couple of days, it seems like uh, this time it's going to be higher as well. Very interesting analysis. Do, do you remember what happened in uh, 2018 when the price drawdowns happened? The only exceptional event that happened? So I think it was... So of, November 20... Uh, like crypto crisis again, every every ICO was failing and uh, in November 2018, the prices were going down for all the asset classes across crypto, as much as I remember, but I don't know the reason. Yeah, I think so. 
November 2018? No, I actually don't really specifically remember this period. It seems like from the graph that, of course, it was below this all-time half $19,000, which was December of 2017, and then it crashed, and then there was a period of consolidation, but then it suddenly dropped again after very low uh, volatility, which you can kind of see here. There is very low volatility, and then there is a big crash uh, over here. But no, I don't remember. But yeah, it seems like a complete... Um, crisis of confidence in Bitcoin again, just like um, we faced over the last year. I think one of the reasons um, uh, that it seems like this price movement has been there is also because of change, uh, you know, in the dollar index. So the dollar index has actually, I don't have the graph open, but it's on my phone. The dollar index has gone down from a high of 115 um, in the middle of last year. And it's now at 102. So all other assets have increased in price over the last six months. Actually, Bitcoin is not. And I think Bitcoin is just moving late because of all the... And what, what is exactly um, so dollar index, Sandeep? Yeah, dollar index is nothing else but the kind of the price of dollar in comparison to its exchange rate with other major okay. currencies. So it kind of shows the strength of dollar vis-a-vis, I think, other major currencies like euros and stuff like okay. that, right? Um, so I think when the trust in macroeconomic conditions is low in the world, dollar becomes like the safe haven and dollar becomes really strong and all other assets, including other foreign exchange currencies, the value goes down, right? And that's what we saw, uh, in the first half and dollar peaked at 115 with the, you know, supply chain with the China crisis, uh, COVID crisis and the war and all of these things. And now as the world, you know, everybody seems to be forgetting about the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Of course, I mean, it's still going on and it's terrible. And I'm sure the Ukrainians are not. But I mean, the rest of the world is. It's not in the media anymore. And China is coming out of COVID. And seems like the world is kind of stepping. And US inflation rates are down. And that's what the article talks about. The dollar index is, uh, you know, going down. And I think that's also one of the reasons that Bitcoin has shown kind of a late mover to its, you know, to, to a price increase, which really should have happened earlier, but it did not happen early earlier because of all the FTX yep. contagion. Uh, one of the things that this article also talks about is the relative strength in dollar happened at the back of Fed's increasing interest rates and uh, that might start slowing down. So uh, this prediction that in February, the Fed interest rate might only increase by 25 basis points. And by the end of this year, maybe there can be retraction possible. So with that kind of news, probably dollar will start weakening a little. And that has already been shown by the dollar index that you were just talking about. Yeah, no, yes, no, absolutely. Uh, You know, inflation rates are going down. And I think we have this article, which kind of shows, yeah, the inflation rates are going down. I don't have an article over here. And uh, the expectation that the Fed will at least slow down its rate of increase or start Kind of or just be flat I, I think the expectations that the fed will reduce interest rates this year i have not really read any articles on that or um, yeah i have yeah. also not read I mean, any articles you know, there is there was the, some sort of uh assumption yeah. or presumption on this one uh, wherein it was mentioned that by the end of this year there might be some small retraction i'm not sure if that will happen uh fed is uh, sacrificing employment of uh 
all these tech workers and all these middle class at the altar of you know uh, interest rate uh, probably that will change next year right now i don't know i'm not sure if this this is going to happen no and absolutely and just again uh, you know the the dollar index just to say to tell you the range the dollar index last year then the last 52 weeks okay so the last year has moved between 95 and 114 so even currently at 100 it's about you know 6% higher than the lowest level over just the last year so there is still reason that the dollar index can go down to 90 and over the five year period it has actually the lowest levels were below 90 uh in early 2021 a late 2020 you know and then of course it just peaked with the fed raising interest rates and now it's coming down pretty dramatically um actually i'm going to put a chart the next time in the next podcast episode i don't have it don't have it open right now so yeah that's a that's a coverage on bitcoin's price and the the macro situation in the world right so now. let's cover next what's happening in the broader crypto ecosystem uh things might not have been as uh dramatically bad as it was couple of weeks back but now the fed and the you know uh, uh ny investigation department and all of them have uh, started making moves so there's this article on bloomberg about the scrutiny that dcg is under and uh what is at investigation is uh what dcg has done to the money that they had in their coffers so uh right now the internal money flow trail is being investigated by federal prosecutors to establish if uh, dcg is in any bad shape or situation and the i think the news will come out in couple of weeks as to what's happening inside dcg another interesting update on dcg's portfolio company genesis was uh, seg sec Gary Gary Gensler has opened an investigation on Gemini and Genesis, and uh, since some time now, the money the money is not being returned from Genesis to Gemini to give it back to the urn holders, and that's when Gemini has stalled disbursal to urn holders and uh, sort of has been writing open letters on Twitter to get that money back from DCG. So this is specifically an issue where the SEC says. if you have any product which gives out interest then it's a security product so they find blockfi before blockfi went bankrupt 100 million dollars at that time blockfi absorbed it it was a bull market blockfi was able to absorb that fine of i think 100 million dollars uh, i'm not sure of the amount yeah that was the amount so that, that that's a huge huge amount to fine and now the sec has gone after genesis and gemini earn Uh, simply because they are yield products, and they are saying that any yield product is a security, and it needs to be registered through us. So I don't know the details of, you know, what according exactly when it's a yield product becomes a security, and I'm not really into the details. But I just kind of wanted to make a note that BlockFi went through this, and now they are coming out. After, unfortunately, after Genesis and Gemini earn after two years, and when these companies are really near bank bankruptcy, and so. the question is how does this investigation into these companies which have already stopped you know serving the retail customers going to protect investors but so moving on to the next update so from the ftx contagion the the contagion seems to be spreading to huobi's as well uh, so right now uh, the exchange volume at huobi has massively dropped uh, a lot of employees has been asked to uh, you know let go from the company and the ones who are there are also being uh, sort of given 
salaries in Huobi stable coins. Uh, and a lot of internal channels has been, uh, as mentioned on this, on this Coindesk art article. So internal staff communication channels has also been closed and that has taken a toll on, uh, Huobi's exchange and exchange trading volume. The other thing that the article mentions is Huobi has been relying a lot on its own token to denominate its reserves. So almost 60% of its reserves are based on things other than its token. So around 40% of the reserves are just made up of Huobi's token itself. And yeah, so, uh, you know, if this is true, then it's exactly the same kind of situation like FTX, right? It's the reserves are made from your own token, which are traded on your own exchange and you can never verify its true value and so app super risky uh, and user funds are used in all different sorts of investments. So seems like a really terrible situation going on at other exchanges as well. Yeah. Moving on to Celsius. Uh, so what's happening at Celsius is the New York Attorney General has uh, sort of sued uh, Celsius co-founder Alexei Mashinsky for basically defrauding their customers. And uh, the article mentions from the Strait Times that uh, Mashinsky promoted Celsius as a safe alternative to banks, paying interest as high as 17% on deposits, whereas not revealing as to where those that money is flowing. And that money was put in risky investments and a lot of customers uh, lost their lifetime savings. Uh, so I think Mashinsky is going to be in tough spot if if proven that this was this was a fraud, as in he knew the risk and he, he did not reveal those risks to the customers who were putting in money in Celsius. Yeah, the, the, the guy, Alex, um, he has a you know shady background even before Celsius. I never used Celsius. I mean, I was aware of Celsius and they were giving these crazy high interest, uh, interest rates on, you know, if you would deposit Bitcoin with them uh, and just, yeah, never recommended. Uh, they had their own. I think for me, any company, as soon as they have their own token, I am just definitely not giving them my Bitcoin uh, for any reason. What do you recommend uh, to users who are still using such products? So there are still products out there which give you certain yield uh, as high as 10%, 11%. I mean, so far they have been somewhat safe, but well, yeah. You are the yield. The customer is, the, <laughs> you know, when you can absolutely have no idea where the yield is coming from, you know, where interest rates are so low and you're getting 17% or really high interest rates, you are the yield. At some one day, you're going to lose your collateral. It's a matter of time. So yeah, my, my recommendation is this, you know, do not give your asset Bitcoin, which has increased on an average of 200% per year to somebody else to get 5-10% yield. Makes sense. You know, just the risk just does not yeah. make sense. So the other news uh, is coming out from cryptocurrency major exchange Binance. Uh, Binance's assets have been bleeding. Uh, so though it's not in news because it's a slow bleed, the news, this one that we are covering mentions that 15% uh, of its asset have uh, sort of gone out. So there's been around $12 billion of outflows in the last couple of weeks. And another thing that the article mentions at the bottom is uh, though Binance did do proof of reserves, uh, but people are not sort of buying into it. Even the auditor, Mazar, who did it, has mysteriously dropped the report and have dropped all its crypto clients after publishing the report. 
proof of reserves has got nothing to do with the liabilities of the company. It's just one aspect of the audit, half of it. Until an audit is not 100%, it's a useless audit. Okay, maybe it's a step in the right direction, but it's not complete. And uh, well, I'm just encouraged by this trend that clients and users are not trusting exchanges. And I think it's yep. a good sign. Yep. So another art, another news on Binance covers that SEC is not trusting uh, Binance US's bid for Voyager Digital. Uh, they have apprehension on Binance US's ability to pare down a billion dollar for Voyager Digital. The other problem is they are not very sure that the acquiring company and the company which is getting sold will actually service the customers whose money is stuck with Voyager. So broadly, I think the regulator want that Voyager Digital should secure customer assets and uh, should pay down, should pay pay first to its own customers and then the money should flow to the acquiring company or the Voyager Digital, Digital itself. So because of both these concerns, they are not happy with Binance US's bidding for Voyager Digital. Yeah, I think uh, suddenly the all US regulatory authorities and I mean, late, but rightly so, are just kind of now focused on protecting other customer funds or whatever companies and exchanges are left out there. It's um, why this late yeah, move. Um, I, I don't know. Absolutely no idea. I mean, you know, again, I'm surprised uh, Gary Gensler, you know, I've done his, uh, he used to teach Bitcoin blockchain in MIT and that entire course is uh, online on MIT OCW open course where, and if you go through that course and I've gone through that course, I think he would be the only bureaucrat, I mean, who has that kind of knowledge of Bitcoin. Yep. He's teaching a course in MIT on Bitcoin. He knows that thing more than maybe yeah. you and me do, uh, you know, and for somebody of that caliber of that kind of knowledge, uh, sitting at the top of SEC and, uh, you know, with SEC all over the place. I, I, I don't know, it just, it just doesn't add in uh, unless it's dirty politics, which honestly, I don't have an insider view uh, to it. The US has, uh, with somebody like him, his knowledge, the opportunity to get this right. But um, right now, it's just reactions, uh, just like any other country. My, my hunch, and this is... So no idea, but terrible. Uh, and this is completely in line with my hunch as well. So I have I had seen uh, the Driza... Taj Drija's lecture on Bitcoin and Lightning Network. And he was one of the attendees in those lectures and he would ask very insightful questions. And the again, those lecture series are out there on YouTube and MIT OCW. And uh, I was very happy when I heard about the fact that he's becoming SEC chair. I think right now what's happening is the wind is blowing against broader crypto ecosystem. The investors might have, you know, written down their losses. This broad consumer sentiment against the money that they might have lost. And so SEC might have the populist support to take actions against these kind of operators, which earlier they, for some reason, might or might not have had. Um, so with that, let's move on to the other aspect of the contagion, which is uh, uh, Silvergate uh, Bank, um, you know. So, so just disclaimer, I do have a business relationship with Silvergate. And I kind of feel like because I have a relationship, I have a biased kind of opinion positively towards them. So I'm not really sure. I don't have any insider information. I just have a business I'm a relationship with them. And the, all the information I have about the bank is through the news, which is out there, which we are summarizing uh, for everyone. So I think, first of all, this I really found interesting. You know, what's uh, uh, ARK Invest 
liquidated all of their silvergate capital position the so ark invest again it's a fund which is you know right now not at all doing uh, well with their investments in uh, tesla down and you know bitcoin down and stuff but kathy uh, wood is somebody who i listen to uh, and i think as a long term investor in tech uh, she's somebody whom i do admire and i think i, I was just kind of a little taken aback that somebody who is a big strong uh, bitcoin believer um Ark Invest has completely cleared their position of Silvergate Bank, which is not great news for the bank uh, itself. And um, there is more bad news. So Silvergate's stock price has really plunged. Uh, my absolute terms said billion dollars, uh, but basically forty-two percent down. And I think last week they also announced that they are cutting their workforce by forty percent. Um, and in fact, there were people with whom I was dealing with who are no longer. part of silvergate and uh, some fantastic people out there so it's really sad news i on a personal level i was really happy and really wanted these banks were supporting uh, the crypto industry to succeed but i think again like with many many companies out there it's not about bitcoin and there are these other you know crypto companies which they you know all of these entities get involved with and yeah there is some really bad news out there and i think they are really suffering and um, so what has happened besides the fact that their their stock prices uh, gone down um, and they've cut their workforce they've also had a kind of a run on the bank so deposits from their crypto customers has declined just about 4 billion dollars and it was at its peak 12 billion dollars that's a proper run on the bank and so the bank so silvergate was forced to sell 5.2 billion dollars of debt securities at a loss of 700 million dollars just a few we- few weeks back to maintain liquidity so again uh, from the information that i have is that the bank actually took a huge loss on their books to protect the bank and to maintain liquidity so you can look at it in a really bad negative way which of course this article does or you can also look at it that they having you know kind of uh, written this loss in their books they now are at least healthier uh, than they were um so but we'll see uh, if you are banking with these uh, crypto focused banks it is a time to be at least you know to be on the lookout again um, i mean because they are banks and they are not typical entities they typically don't go bankrupt as per us banking laws but i'm not really sure what exactly happens if a bank really goes down i mean do they go bankrupt or are they taken over by the us fed i'm not really sure about that another bad possibility is their banking license can be can also be seized at a time when us fed and uh, you know regulators are looking negatively they they are they're not liking all these crypto companies so they they can basically make a scapegoat out of silvergate as well so that's the worst possibility yeah and silvergate i think is also now subject to some investigations because of their involvement with ftx but if they lose their banking license of course the only concern is if you have a banking relationship or like funds with these banks is what happens to customers at the point of time when they lose a banking license so i'm not really sure of that this is a developing story and we will cover it in the podcast so with that let's move on to the next article which is uh, on coindesk dated 6th jan bitcoin miner marathon digital pays of silvergate revolving credit so this is not really an article on silvergate it's basically an article on bitcoin miners and uh, marathon i mean he's we've done a podcast episode actually uh, with this company so i think it's one of the top it's one of the top 3 or 5 bitcoin 
uh, public listed Bitcoin mining companies in the US. So it's uh, it's gone really big. It's pretty, uh, you know, that's their mining capacity. Um, and uh, so the article says that they've paid off $30 million in revolver loans, which is basically like working capital. Uh, and they freed up their collateral against that. And um, it kind of says that this action uh, is similar actions from other Bitcoin miners to reduce their debt obligation. So I think what happened was in the boom cycle, all Bitcoin miners became super bullish and started taking loans to increase their mining capacity. And I think they also got windfalls uh, because of the Chinese Bitcoin uh, mining ban. And so I think they had like a absolutely a windfall year in 2021. And so, you know, May, everybody starts taking more risk, ended up taking loans to uh, increase their Bitcoin mining. The price was going high, Bitcoin mining capacity, and now everybody's really facing the heat. And I think that's basically what is we wanted to point out with this article. Uh, so this is on its working capital, but the article also says that Marathon also has a term loan, which they have kind of refused to comment on. Uh, but the article speculates that they had drawn out about $100 million um, in terms of loan and maybe $50 million has been paid back. So balance $50 million could still be outstanding with Silvergate. Uh, any mention as to how how this loan is being repaid? Because they haven't, they have intentions of selling Bitcoin, but they haven't still sold the Bitcoin. So it was not clear as to whether they have taken another loan to repay this one or uh, what is the source of this income? Yep, that's interesting. Uh, no idea about that. Yes, exactly. Uh, Marathon is a big Bitcoin believer. So uh, you will see from the podcast episode as well uh, that part of the strategy is to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Uh, so they've not sold any Bitcoin. I, I really don't know. Maybe this loan was a part of their expansion plans, which they are not using. And so they decided to release it or they are taking money from, but yeah, their source of income. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Or maybe they are, earning more Bitcoin from the Bitcoin mining, maybe selling a part of it and adding a part of it to their balance sheet, not the whole, uh, that could be another way as well, but it's not clear from the article. Yep. So moving on to what's been happening uh, in other geographies related to Bitcoin. So there are two news articles that we are going to cover, one on, one on what's happening on, in India, one uh, potentially what can happen in India. So last year, from since the time when crypto when the tax was introduced on crypto trading as well as holding since then there's been an outflow of around 3.8 billion dollars to foreign exchanges so crypto owners in the country probably do not want to pay taxes on every trade that they do or probably they want to hide uh, you know the holding that they have so for all these reasons uh, in that last year itself and one year is still not complete the rule was introduced on february 1 2022 so 4 billion dollars worth of crypto has moved outside and that's potentially a loss to not only uh, sort of the tax to the government, but also to the burgeoning uh, and, you know, this whole crypto ecosystem that could have flourished inside the country itself. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, this tax has been a pseudo ban on the crypto industry. So the tax is pretty, it's 30% tax on crypto profits. Okay, it's, it's high, but it's in line for a country like India that these taxes are in line with other income, with business income at least. Okay, that's fine. I think the main problem has been that there has been an additional 1% tax on every transaction. So basically it has killed off exchange volume and exchanges, 
if exchange volumes are killed then liquidity gets killed you know so big part of the fact that there is exchange volume is also that there is liquidity in the market you know the speculators add liquidity to the market so specul you know people trying to speculate on the price of an asset is not bad that's how liquidity is there and so the entire crypto market all exchanges it's basically everybody is almost i think at single digit percentage volumes compared to the highs before the tax so that's one aspect so their valuations i think there were a couple of unicorn crypto exchanges that happened last year um i think they would definitely if they would be raising funds there would be a massive drawdown on the valuation and the other part is that you know users have just taken their funds to foreign exchanges which cannot be governed by us by indian authorities like if there is any problem then they have to now rely rather than on indian exchanges they have to go out to these foreign exchanges to get customer funds back uh, so yeah all in all uh, i think these digital assets which can which have no geography technically have to be looked at very differently from authorities in every country because they can both yep. the other news article uh, and that's one thing that we have been discussing between us and uh, it it can have significantly major repercussions so el salvador has launched a volcano bond which is basically an invitation for anyone to invest in uh, their bond denominated in us dollars get 6.5% uh, return on that money on top of that there's a fast track access to citizenship inside in the country and this money will be used by el salvador to pair their uh, sort of pair the IMF loan that they have taken IMF and US uh, dollar denominated loan that they have taken and it's i think it's worth around 3 quarters of a billion of dollars and the other quarter billion dollars will be spent on setting up a bitcoin city setting up bitcoin mining stations inside the country uh, so basically if it works out and if you could put your dollars earn a certain yield it it opens up a lot more countries who are uh, right now at the mercy of IMF to bail them out or at the mercy of you know other countries to give them dollars this will open up a path to those countries as well and potentially if this works out we will see more countries adopting bitcoin standard floating floating a similar bond which basically asks other other customers to give them us dollars in the hope of a fixed return as well as that money goes inside the country and increases the bitcoin adoption in the in the country yeah i mean president bukelele is an absolute bitcoin maximalist and there is a lot of contradictory information about his governing style and i'm not getting into that i'm not an expert i really don't know but yeah I, <laughs> it's for me it's just amazing that the president of a country is a bitcoin maximalist that's the progression that bitcoin has had in 14 years <laughs> you know uh, and that's amazing he keeps buying bitcoin he's just like any other bitcoin maxi out there uh, and just because of this specific policy i of course have a biased uh, opinion and i wish him all the luck and wish the country all the luck because as you said if they are successful in this absolutely you know bitcoin maximalist project of theirs it's going to be the blueprint for uh, many other smaller countries uh, to maybe fall yeah, and in the similar vein uh, in argentina one of the presidential candidate and right now he's the second most popular presidential presidential candidate uh, the presidential elections are due in october 2023 is a bitcoin maximalist again so he has basically put out his charter saying that he will bring bitcoin as a legal tender in argentina and so with this kind of success there will probably be more countries in southern america and in other geographies which will uh, turn to bitcoin standard hopefully 
Yeah, again, exactly. I think it's um, the thing is when you have access to an international financial system, you don't need Bitcoin at a retail level. Uh, you know, so if you are, uh, you know, you have an international bank account and you have international credit cards, Bitcoin doesn't make sense to you. And you have so many assets to protect your purchasing power. Similarly, at the nation state, you know, if you are one of a you know, prosperous financial country, you have no reason to kind of understand or believe in Bitcoin. But if you are one of these countries which is debt ridden and, you know, is at the mercy of, you know, you know, entities like IMF, then you're forced to look at alternatives. And if you go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, it starts making sense. El Salvador is the first example. And other such countries which are in similar situations uh, could follow a path. And hopefully that could be, uh, we would add another country or two this year. There's another uh, Central South uh, African country. I think there are two countries in which Bitcoin is legal tender. I don't remember the name of the country, but I think it's two now. El Salvador. So you there's know the a the Central country? African Republic Maybe or something like that. They announced that they have no Bitcoin, but yeah. they launched their own token. So yeah, yeah. so they use the Bitcoin oh, news to pump their own yes. token. That's what happened. Yeah. In fact, this guy, Xavier Milai, who is a Bitcoin maxi and who is talking about bringing Bitcoin as a, as a sovereign legal currency, has himself been a shitcoiner. So he had introduced his own shitcoin as well in the past to run his presidential election campaign. But but yeah, there are all shades of people in the space. Yeah, but 21 towers is yeah. Bitcoin only. We are absolutely no shades on the spectrum. <laughs> Great. I think with that, uh, we have covered all the news. Um, the Bitcoin uh, price has started moving since last two days. Um, you know, anxiously excited to see what happens uh, this week. We would love, as mentioned in the last episode, uh, we have got uh, right now a wait list of users uh, signing up for their, you know, multi-sig custody options that we have at our offering. And if in case you are one of those customers, we are very happy to sort of onboard you and uh, show you uh, what sort of custody solution do we have at 21 Towers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, excited to kind of build that out and uh, release that out to more and more uh, people. And hopefully, I think the waitlist should go down over the next uh, two weeks. So, so yes, uh, with that, uh, thank you for listening and uh, see you guys in the next one.